I'm Michelle Roberts, Executive Director of the Central High School Foundation. Welcome to today's episode of Eagle Tells, where each month we interview Central High School alumni who are making an impact on the world. Joining me today is Sam Johnson from the class of 1981. Sam has such a cool history, but one could say it started with an underground newspaper and a possible suspension from Central. turns out that during his time at Central, Sam started a grassroots newspaper and it became so widely populated that administration threatened suspension for a few students. Now, it might be hard to imagine that this was the start of a successful career in comedy, but for Sam, it was. Later in his career, Sam would become one of the twisted minds behind Beavis and Butthead and pen scripts for the Emmy award-winning TV show, Frasier. Johnson truly did cut his comedy writing teeth at Central. In addition to the underground paper that landed him in hot water, he wrote a humor column as the editor of The Register and performed comedy skits in The Roadshow. At Yale, Sam majored in English, performed in music and theater, and wrote humor pieces on the side. Soon after college, he landed a job as writer and editor of National Lampton Magazine. From there, he wrote for Beavis and Butthead and also co-wrote two books featuring the dim-witted duo and the pilot episode of its spinoff series, Daria. Over the past two decades, he shared writing and production credits on numerous situation comedies, among them News Radio, How I Met Your Mother, Hot in Cleveland, and the long-running Frasier. Sam continues to thrive, laugh, and write in California, where he makes his home. Sam, thank you for coming in on the show. I'm uh, happy to be here. So first, let's talk about growing up in Omaha. Yeah. Um, can you paint a picture for us, uh, how your experience was? Man, I had kind of a real Norman Rockwell experience. I grew up on Fontenelle Boulevard over by Holy Name Church. I went to Clifton Hill Elementary. I don't think Clifton Hill exists as an elementary school anymore. And then I went to... Martin Luther King Jr. when that was opened as first a middle school and then a ninth grade center. I went to Monroe, but I always wanted to go to Central. I was in kind of the Benson district, I guess, but I ended up uh, at the time you could choose pretty much where you wanted to go to high school. And, and I, I really wanted to go to Central. But yeah, I mean, my childhood was pretty uh, normal, delivered the Omaha World Herald, shoveled the walk, weeded the yard in the summer, didn't get paid for it, just did it. <laughs> you know, it's like... Uh, Normal kid. What did you like doing in your free time at that age? You know, I wasn't very good at sports, but everybody did sports. So I had to do little league this and little league that. And, and I think maybe from that trauma, uh, maybe that's where my uh, comedy roots come from. Little league and, and trying to make money. I feel like that was like a huge preoccupation of my childhood is I just got to make some money. Being and an entrepreneur. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, I wasn't very good at it, but, and later, you know, when I went to high school, I met kids who, who were, and so I tried to like stay close to them because it was all about like, just got to make money and do as little as possible <laughs> to get it. Is there any um, thing, any one thing in your experience growing up that alerted you that one day you might make a living making people laugh? <laughs> I never really thought about how it's going to make a living. I didn't know people get paid for that. That was like a new, I didn't realize that until late in life. I feel like that you could make a living writing jokes and stuff. I will say that as a kid, I often felt a little bit like an outsider. And I did feel like um, best way to get along with people is to make them laugh. If you can make them laugh, you're in, you're okay. Nobody will, people won't beat you up or take your money. So I feel like that was a role I, I just kind of fell into at school. 
So when you did make it to Central High School, what do you remember about high school? I remember so much about high school. It's crazy. I remember more about high school than I remember about a lot of jobs I've worked on for a lot longer than I went to mm -hmm. high school. But for me, uh, I mean, I remember just walking in there feeling like this small dude, but being so excited to be at Central, this beautiful, huge, super high school with so many traditions. And at the time then it was really still this old school boys and girls staircases and open air courtyard. And it was kind of the pre-modern version of Central and uh, all these traditions. And there were kids there whose parents had gone to Central and it just felt like this grand you know, tradition laden institution. So I was, I was excited to be a part of it. And I really was ambitious about, I wanted to really make a mark there. So that was my, that was my drive. Do you remember any teachers or administrators who had an impact on your growth? Oh my gosh. So many great teachers I had there from really from right at the beginning. Um, certainly I, Dr. Moeller, uh, GE Moeller was the principal my whole time there. And he, was a, a stern hand, but also very a warm human uh, uh, kind of guy who I didn't really get to know while I was there. But even, but after uh, Central and after my own brush with discipline, I, um, he was very nice to me. And, and we corresponded a little bit when I was in college. He sent me a couple of letters that I thought was really, uh, it surprised me. It was nice. He was a good, he was a good man. My drama teacher there, Peggy Stamas, and now Peggy Georgeson, who, uh, I know is really involved still in central stuff. And she was always very encouraging, a very enthusiastic teacher, a great teacher, just a great kind of enthusiastic person. I feel like that's the most, like if I could impart any quality on a human being um, in high school or otherwise, enthusiasm is the greatest thing you can bring to life. And she was always very enthusiastic. Uh, Marlene Bernstein was an English teacher there who was really inspiring and, and talked to students as though we were adults and it was cool to be in classes that felt like, oh, I, I, it's like being in college and, and people treat you like a, like an adult, like a thinking grown up person. Dan Daly, uh, Patricia Ottenreath, um, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving some out, but I had many great teachers at Central. Tell us about your time on a sports team, the Register, O-Book, et cetera, while you were at Central. Yeah, I was really, uh, the closest I came to a sports team is I did run cross country for about five minutes, but I, <laughs> but I felt like I can't, I'm, if I do this, I, I won't be in the fall musical, um, which is the lamest possible thing you can admit to. And I felt like, uh, cross country, I felt like I could really, I could maybe thrive in that as a, as a veteran, um, newspaper deliverer. I felt like I had pretty good stamina, but, um, I didn't last in that. So, but yes, uh, you know, I really wanted to, I, I was really into journalism. I'd taken some class at uh, Benson in the uh, summer, kind of a summer program. They had a great teacher there named Gunnar Horn, who was a, sort of a great journalism teacher. And I felt like that was, a, that I felt like was maybe a, that was what I thought maybe I would get into when I graduated from college. Maybe I'd be a, a reporter, a journalist. So I was really into it and really into the register and, and wanted to uh, be involved in that. And so I did apply to be the editor of the register. And I think probably because nobody else really applied, I, I was able, I got that job. So, and I really liked it. I, I, you know, I had a great time and I enjoyed like every aspect of it, not just sort of the reporting and gathering of, of local high school news, but also just laying out a paper and what it takes to, to produce something like that. I really like that part of it. 
But I was, you know, like I say, I was just really ambitious about everything at school. And so I wanted to be the president of every club and I wanted to probably to the detriment of all these clubs, but I, but you know, whatever I, I campaigned and, and, um, got elected to stuff or somehow fell into these things. And I, I loved it. Um, do you think your experience at Central then prepared you for, um, coming for your upcoming years in college and later in your career? Some parts did for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did feel like I was much better suited. I mean, I went to, to, to Yale and at the time, I don't think it's quite this way still. Maybe it is still, I'm sure it's like there are a lot of rich kids at Yale, but there were a lot of kids coming from prep schools or from these sort of more rarefied institutions and they didn't know how to go to a party. And I felt like I knew how to do that from Central. Not that this is a great recommendation for Central, but I did, but I did feel like socially I was much more suited and I was able to, I mean, there are a lot of ways that they were more prepared for college than I was, but I will say that like coming from a big public school, there's no better way to enter the world. I don't think so. You, you knew the real life scenario. I knew the real right? life scenario. That's right. Um, after Central, you continued on to college. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in college and how that transitioned from the nest to your university? Yeah, I mean, I was really excited. I'd never been to the East Coast before. I'd never, I didn't visit any colleges before I went. I went to Carleton College in Minnesota. I visited that and I had a good time and I would have gone there, but I got into Yale and I felt like I had to go there. And I went there, I had a classmate from Central, Scott Barker, who was my best friend, who also went to Yale. And there was another kid, Tom Barnett, who came from Norfolk, who also got into Yale. So the three of us, we packed up a, a Scott Barker's family station wagon and the three of us drove to the East Coast. Tom Barnett's dad was an Episcopalian priest. And so he, um, there were a couple of other Episcopalians who we, we stayed with on the way out. I remember stopping in Indianapolis at some um, priest's home and, and, uh, but then we got to New York and once we were in New York city, I mean, it really was like a bunch of hicks coming to the city, pointing at all the tall buildings and the big bridges and everything. And we drove into the city and Scott Parker, Barker's grandfather met us there and we stayed at the Yale club. And then we went to see like the pirates of Penzance on Broadway. And, you know, it was just walking into traffic, looking up at skyscrapers. And then we drove up to Yale and, and there we were, I mean, we were really thrown into it. And Scott and I had been pretty inseparable in, in high school, but in college we had, it was great to have a, a, a friend there um, because I didn't know anybody else. And, and so it was good to see him freshman year, but we sort of did our own different things and, and had, had very different experiences. But, but, uh, you know, overall, I, I mean, I'm still very close. I have a lot of friends from school who I, who I uh, stay in touch with and all my roommates and everything, but it was great. You've had a long career and I'm sure that's quite the story in itself. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional life and um, how that's progressed to where you are today? Uh, yeah, I mean, I got out of college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had a sort of half-baked idea that maybe I could be an actor somewhere. I'd been on a lot of shows in high school and in college and I thought maybe that would be something good. But I also had kind of like some contempt for acting and actors. So I could never really take it seriously as a profession, I guess. So I got out of college. I was working as a moving man for a long time. My college roommate and I had written some things together. We'd put out our own kind of underground paper in college and he was living on the West Coast thinking about graduate school. And we would write actual old fashioned written out letters to each other. And we'd sometimes write little stories and say, you know, here's an idea for a short piece 
maybe we could submit this to a magazine. I mean, there were a lot more magazines back then and you could send, sell stuff to like the New Yorker or to National Lampoon. But after a year working as a moving man, working at a book publishing company, my roommate came back to New York and we started seriously thinking about what, how we could turn this writing sideline into a career. And so we started writing, trying to write magazine articles. We started writing for, we wrote a couple of things for Mademoiselle magazine and some other women's magazines. We met some other young people who were working at these magazines who would help us get, sell our stories and sell our pieces. And we did sell a piece to the New Yorker, which felt like a great breakthrough for us. And, and sold some stuff to National Lampoon, which was kind of a dying concern. Then it had been this great satirical magazine in the seventies and early eighties. By the time we got there, it was kind of on its, on its heels. So, but we did end up working there as editors, worked there for a year. And about when I was, I guess, 28, maybe I, we got a job working for, uh, for a, a cable channel called com, uh, I guess it was called the Comedy Channel. What is it now? It's Comedy Central, I think. Yeah, so back then it was called the Comedy Ch Channel. It had been, there were like two comedy channels. There was the Comedy Channel and there was Ha TV. Like there were these blowing up kind of, um, you know, basic cable was was like blowing up at the time. So there, there were these two comedy channels and I worked at one of them. Uh, my partner and I, we were writing for like, they had a ton of weird little niche type shows they had a lot of stand-up clips and they had a lot of old black and white sitcoms and and they had a lot of just stand-ups, guys who were like in the scene who were around. So I worked on the show called Night After Night with Alan Havey. It was like a it was like a, a old um, really shoestring budget talk show. Alan Havey was a stand-up. He had he had actually really great guests. He was a really good interviewer. He had, I remember I remember a really great interview he did with Tupac Shakur before Tupac blew up. And it was just like two guys who were kind of, uh, you know, at a similar point in their careers, like uh, before they were, I mean, Alan Havey never became like a household name and a huge thing, but Tupac was just kind of on the cusp of something great. And he was really just interesting. And, and like, it was a good talk of two guys who would not in any other way ever come together, but enjoyed that. And we were just writing comedy bits for it, writing stuff for that. And then, from that, we were trying to get a toehold somewhere else, maybe Saturday Night Live, maybe the Letterman show, maybe any of these other shows in New York that actually paid better than basic cable. We wrote a big thing for Letterman. We wrote a package of like, here's a bunch of, here's some top 10 lists and here's some other comedy bits. Here's some other things that you can do. And the head writer there, Rob Burnett, called me and said, listen, uh, I love your stuff, but we don't have space for two writers. Um, so I, but I forwarded it because the show at MTV was is looking for writers. And so maybe they can use you. MTV had a show called Liquid Television, which was like a whole bunch of different sh little animated bits, little animated um, segments. And one of them was like the earliest version of Beavis and Butthead. And they were going to turn Beavis and Butthead into a series. And so they just needed material. They needed a ton of it. And so they called us up and that said, could you come and write some stuff for us. And we were like, yes, this is great. And so I watched Beavis and Butthead and I was like, this is not just comedy. This is, this is reporting. This is like, this is like everybody I grew up with in Omaha. I can write this in my sleep. I have a million ideas. I've, I know these guys. I went to school with these guys and yeah, let's do it. That was a great experience. Uh, I mean, it was just like a, every day was a joy. You just come in and you just pitch the dumbest thing. And it could be like an, like, I felt like we sort of achieved 
Zen perfection in that show where we pitched an episode where all they do is they find a full can of pop that hasn't been opened. And the whole episode is them shaking it up until they, until it gets maximum pressure and then they open it. And that's all they do is like they, you know, they walk around town shaking up this can of pop. And then the end is they open it up and it's sort of anticlimactic, but I felt like that is, that's the dumbest thing. And we're going to make this into a TV show and people are going to watch it. So um, that was awesome. And from there, we are, we got an agent and the agent said, well, you should write a spec for this new show on NBC called News Radio. Um, take a watch that. And, and, and so we wrote a spec, spent some time doing that. And we had also been like writing, MTV had come to us and said, well, we're going to spin off Daria from Beavis and Butthead because we've tried these other animated shows and not really working, but we feel like there's a real appetite for animation and for a girl, like a, a woman's kind of, I mean, it was really a girl's um, point of view. The, what is the, is there um, a show in this, in the smart kid from Beavis and Butthead, which was who Daria was. So we wrote that pilot just at the same time we got hired to write for news radio. So we left MTV and Daria to come to Los Angeles to work at, at news radio. And we went to news radio and Paul Sims was the showrunner who was our age, who was very young. And he um, said, well, I haven't read your script. I heard it's pretty funny, but I haven't read it. And I don't really know how to interview people. So I'm just gonna ask you some Star Wars trivia. And based on how well you do, that's will decide how you get your job, whether you get this job or not. And my partner, Chris, knows nothing about Star Wars, could not care less. and had no idea. And I sort of, I guessed, cause I didn't like whatever I'd seen star Wars once or twice. I thought it was fine, but I didn't know any of this stuff either. So he gave us the job anyway. And then we worked at news radio to the end. And now I'm working for Paul again on this other show called what we do in the shadows. So, um, it, it all comes full circle. There, so there are central eagles, um, both at central and across the world who are striving every day to achieve their own uh, respective success and accomplishments. What advice do you have for them based on your own personal journey? Well, be enthusiastic for one, always say yes. Always say, yeah, okay, I'll try that. I'll do that. I think that's never failed me. And just a willingness to, to try new things always. And to, um, you know, keep an open heart and an open mind about whatever you're, whatever you're getting into. Hard work, of course, is, is part of it, but that's sort of baked in if you have some ambition or if you've been to Central, a place that really rewards achievement. Um, but I do think just be open to, to new things and you'll be amazed at where, where you end up. So we'd love to end the show with something fun. Can you tell me and the listeners, what is your best central story? Um, boy, I had to think about this because I know I'm going to talk about this later today, but um, I have one funny central story that I was thinking of because when I was a senior at Central, my friend Scott Barker and I and another kid, Jay Sturrock, we had read about this game that some kids in a different part of the country had played and it sounded really fun and cool and we wanted to do it ourselves. And the game was called chaos, or that's what we called it, K-A-O-S, which stood for killing as organized sport, which obviously you could not get away with in a school today uh, for good reason. But the idea was kids, and again, this is part of our, our ethos of like, how can we get paid for doing nothing? But kids would pay, I think five bucks. We got as many kids as possible to do it. Every kid would pay us five bucks. 
we would take down their names and put them in a big hat. Kids would go out and buy like a little plastic um, toy gun that shoots those rubber suction cup darts. So we would take all these names in a hat, shuffle them up, and then assign everybody who agreed to play a, a name. And there was a lot of kids, you know, it was like maybe a hundred kids were playing this game and they all had these little guns with rubber darts. And so you would have your, the name that you'd been assigned, um, Michelle Roberts, I have to go find her and kill her. And then we had these different r- rules. I can't remember like either no witnesses or one witness, or you know, there are certain places where you could do it or you couldn't do it. Uh, but the idea was you would shoot your, your victim. And then that victim would have to give you the name that, that she'd been assigned or he'd been assigned. So that eventually the circle gets smaller and smaller until there's two final finalists left who are trying to kill each other. And then one, you know, there's one winner. And then that winner would get a, a cut of all the money that we'd collected. And my two friends and I would split the rest. So we played this game. I was assassinated immediately. Like I did not get out of study hall and I was killed. But years later after that, we did it once and we didn't do it again. I can't remember why, maybe because we did it kind of late in the school year of our senior year and we just never had the time to do it again, but it was fun and it was kind of cool and kids were really into it and, and it was a fun game. But years later, I had this idea to try to sell that as a TV show, that this would be a funny, like, like a short, maybe 10 episode season where it's a game that's being played all across like Manhattan. Um, and you have thousands of people and it's kind of the same rules. It's a secret club and you are assigned a person and you have to find that person and you have to shoot that person with like a toy gun. And then you keep going until, and it's for bigger stakes and everything, but basically you're following a man and a woman. It's we thought of it as a romantic comedy that these two people are slowly coming together closer and closer and, and, um, eventually meet, they cross paths, they fall in love, whatever but I couldn't remember all the rules to the game we'd played at Central. So I found through Facebook, the woman who had killed me at, in the game at Central. Her name's Liz Fair, her, she was a sophomore. She is like married to a, pre, a, a professor, they live in Sweden. And I found her through Facebook and I said, do you remember this game? Do you remember playing this game? Cause I remember you killed me, I just wanted, uh, and I, I'm thinking about this TV show and, and I want to know your experience and how you felt and how, um, what that meant. And then what happened to you in the game? Like how, what did you go further or what happened? And she, uh, like we hadn't talked in whatever, 25 years or more. And she wrote back immediately and said, of course, I remember, uh, I, I killed you in study hall. I went on, I, I might've gone a few more rounds, but I didn't last very long. But I, you have to remember, I was a sophomore. I was kind of this nobody, this small person in this big school. I was, it was new. Uh, I was, a, uh, you know, I had knew some kids in band, but this was like a real, this was a game that wasn't officially sanctioned by the school. I was doing something weird and cool that wasn't, that was like a little transgressive in a way. It gave me such confidence. Killing you was the greatest thing that happened to me in high school. (laughs) And I felt like, well, all right, I've done something good, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a wrap for our first episode of Eagle Tales. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'd love to hear uh, what you thought of this episode by emailing us at connect at chsfomaha.org or tweeting us at chsfomaha. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching the Central High School Foundation. Keep your ears open for new episodes coming monthly and make sure to visit us and support us 
by visiting www.chsfomaha.org. And remember, near or far, you are part of the Central High School family. Go Eagles! Go Eagles!